With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, snowy Prince George on the traditional territory of the Clayley Tanae. Zeal Godbu from the Citizens, subbing for res this morning. We have got an amazing <laughs> panel this morning. Four of us here. We've got Trudy Clausen. We've got Nicole Fraser. First time? Second. Second time. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. And then, of course, our, our trusty seasoned hands with us, Peter Ewart and Art Betke. Great show today. We're going to talk about John Rustad and the BC Conservatives. Are they for real? I asked that in an editorial today, or actually earlier this week, and I didn't intentionally answer my own question because, to be honest, I'm not really sure. I I want to talk about the code of conduct uh, that's being kind of floated around uh, by city council. And then, of course, a topic that I, I don't understand why is so political, but is and that's garbage pickup in the city of Prince George. But I want to st- I want to start with John Rustad. Art, is J- are John Rustad and the BC Conservatives for real? They are polling neck and neck with Kevin Falcon and the BC United. Who saw this coming? Nobody. Um, they should have. Um, when uh, the people on the supposedly supposed to be center right move left, then there's a, a rebellion. And uh, by kicking uh, John out for having a different opinion and voicing it, uh, that that's not something that uh, center-right parties do. That's what the left does. They cancel, cancel culture. That's that's not a conservative thing. So, uh, and they're not. Oh, come on, Art, cancel culture. It's over exaggerated. <laughs> no, it's it's the thing nowadays. Uh, and they're not neck and neck anymore. The latest poll I heard yesterday: NDP at forty-six percent, conservatives at twenty-six, and the liberal. Or the Uniteds at fourteen, they're in free fall. Whew. Yeah. Whew. So uh, yeah, uh, and and then uh, uh, Falcon, he sort of he, he's changing his position to try and and he's he's fighting both the NDP and the Conservatives, and he's lining up with the NDP on some things and lining up with the Conservatives. Um, the the Liberals brought in the the BC carbon tax. And now he's all for getting rid of it, or at least on on home heating. So, uh, you know, it's a contradictory position. Uh, I would suggest that if uh, Rustad had not been doing so well, he would be all in favor of leaving the carbon tax with the NDP's position on that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, But is is it too soon, Peter? I mean, the election is more than 10 months away. Who's paying attention? Like, is this momentum, I guess, maybe what I'm asking? Well, yeah, I think it's too early to, you know, make a final judgment on this issue. Uh, You know, what's what's happening, I think, is that... uh, uh, John Rustad has staked out the you know, the social conservative side of the uh, of, of the politics, right? And I think uh, I think what he's what he's doing is uh, he wants and he's expressed this. Uh, he wants to stake out uh, sort of a, a bargaining position in terms of a of a new united center right party of some kind. And uh, well, well, hold on a second. Are you suggesting that after the election? There could be the possibility of some sort of coalition 
that would do to the NDP what the NDP did to the Liberals back in, when was that, 2017? Well, yeah, you know, because historically when you look at it, you go back to the uh, 100 years ago, right? You know, like or, or where you go back to the 1941 and so on, right? You know, at that time there, the Liberals and Conservatives uh, were part of a coalition. And basically it was to keep the CCF, the pre- predecessor of the NDP, out. And since then, that's the way it's been. When social credit came in, it was a coalition of the centre-right. When the BC Liberals under Gordon Campbell came in, again, it was another coalition there. Whenever that coalition splits apart, though, when it, you know, when it goes conservative way and the liberal way, uh, then uh, oftentimes that's when the, the NDP wins. So I, I believe that John Rustad is very cognizant of that, that uh, alone conservative party just you know staking out social conservatism uh, as a policy won't win the election they, they basically they they need to have some kind of uh, coalition with uh, with BC United or something like that Nicole Peter points out a coalition and I, I didn't get into this in my editorial because I wanted to focus on Rustad and the conservatives specifically but when you pull it back a what Peter is talking about with a coalition, the flip side of that is vote splitting. Yes. Yeah. And and where you have, and we saw this in Alberta, that's how Rachel Notley and the NDP, I'm NDP government in Alberta, that's how they got in for the one term, right? The, the Wild Rose and, and the Conservatives split the vote. And now a coalition sounds fine, but of course, if you have such acrimony and such infighting going on that there's two parties and it takes some time to sort that out. So... Is John Rustad basically paving the way for another four years of David Eby and the NDP? It's a good question. I think um, I think this is a really good example of you know effective polarization. Um, I think he, John Rustad is very opportunistic, so I think he's appealing to people's emotions, not policies. Um, you know, using these. What else is there? Well, <laughs> well, there used to be policies uh, that people followed and uh, decided, you know, how um, how it landed with them. But I think again, you know, we see this, um, you know, south of us, uh, south border, and people really, um, you know, politicians appealing to people's uh, different worldviews and emotions. And I populism think, isn't new, though. <laughs> well, I think it's just on the rise, and in terms of. Um, appealing again, people aren't aren't pulling apart these issues and thinking about how they they really uh, map out. I think that they're um, they're seeing that you know this this worldview is something that they that appeals to them. I think uh, he you know again he's very opportunistic and uses this idea of being an outsider, even though he's a seasoned politician. To say no, like, I, almost I, twenty uh, years in the legislature, I, I understand how it feels to be on the outside and you know come with me and we can speak our mind. And I think a lot of people that are very dissatisfied, right. um, there's some real appeal to that you know things aren't working and i think he's he so is he splitting the vote yes um you know will this lead uh to either um you know ndp um once again or uh something uh, very different in a coalition I, I mean that's i think it's too early to tell trudy you won election on city council last year I mean, so I, I would like to think that of the five people sitting here at the table, you probably actually have 
the best kind of finger on the pulse in terms of what motivates voters to vote a certain way. And yes, the the social conservatives, the, the SOGI, the climate change, you know, these kinds of things, the carbon tax, get people all excited. But do people actually vote that way? Or or is John Rostad at some point going to have to get real and, and start talking about, you know, things that matter, like, say, the economy? And you know, moving forward that way. Well, I don't consider myself an expert on how people vote at the <laughs> polling booth at all. Uh, I'm just really fortunate to have gotten enough votes to, to be on council, which I feel very grateful for. Um, what I would say is, you know, just riffing off some of the comments of, of uh, the other panelists, populism is on the rise because people don't trust the current state of affairs. However, looking at the whole thing, it's sort of interesting because 47% of people are still supporting the NDP. So I'm not sure that that any vote splitting on the right is is actually going to have much of an impact because that's such a big gap. Um, But I'll point out a few other interesting things. John Rustad was kicked out for I think it was opposing, one of the things was opposing the carbon tax. And now here we have the BC United Party saying oh, well, let's, we're also going to oppose that. And so they seem to be adopting many of the, the things that John Rustad was kicked out for. So that's interesting. Um, and whether or not, you know, it, voters are interesting because there's, you know, this certain level of mistrust, but, but, and so whether that will actually end up uh, materializing into into people actually getting out on, on polling day, I mean, that's that's the important thing. That's the only day that matters. We can think what we like beforehand, but if you don't get people out to vote, it's nothing. It's sort of all in vain. The big reason Art I wrote the the, the opinion piece I did mm-hmm. about John Rustad was it was actually a, a bit of a reply to Les Lane and the Victoria Times columnist who who wrote a column last week that basically said all but called out John as a redneck hick who didn't know nothing about nothing and his lack of sophistication politically is just brutal how can we take this guy for real and I basically was like, um, gee, Les, that's how populist movements start. And by the way, I, I, I'm old enough to remember Bill Anderson, who, what he lacked in political polish, he made up in charisma and the voters ate it up. Can John Rustad channel some of that energy, you think, come next October? Uh, he, he's not high on the charisma, uh, characteristic, uh, but he's appealing to conservative values. Um, and uh, and and it's a reaction to um, Kevin Falcon drifting leftward. So uh, whether he can swing it, I don't know. It's um, it's interesting if if they hadn't, if they were still together, the NDP would still be in a winning position. Mm-hmm. It would be forty six percent to forty percent, which would give them majority again. So uh, I, I, it's splitting the vote is not going to. Uh, give power back to the NDP, it will probably give them more seats uh, because uh, the, the vote will be split and there'll be more NDP elected, but the percentages say that the NDP are going to get in anyway. I don't think Rustad can can build up the momentum enough that he could uh, win uh, himself. P- uh, Peter, do you think it's because... 
the mistake isn't it, that Rustad is actually taking advantage of the of of the fact that it's Kevin Falcon. Uh. That 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 basically. BC United, well, still the Liberals when Falcon was was named leader, is that it, it, they had an opportunity to go in a new direction and and uh, you know offer a new face, and instead they they, 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 they they went back to the Gordon Campbell bench, and and so so strangely enough, even though John Rustad was part of that bench, he wasn't as high profile as as certainly someone like Kevin Falcon was, and so for for. For most provincial voters, particularly in the lower mainland in Vancouver Island and, frankly, most of the interior, John Rustad is new. He's the flavor of the week. Yeah, well, what's interesting, you know, just following up what Nicole and others were talking about here is that uh, when uh, John Rustad was part of the Liberals... uh, he was there when they voted in the carbon tax, you know, back in 2008 and was uh, supposedly supportive of it. But can he change his mind? Well, you can change his mind. He changed his mind on the on the soji thing too, as well as you know the sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, like back, that was back in 2016. The uh, uh, liberals brought in soji f- with their anti-bullying policy. So then you have this kind of change there. The one thing I would say about this, so what concerns me is that all this sort of talk about you know the carbon tax, soji, etc., and all this. Uh, Oftentimes it diverts from the fact that uh, I don't see anywhere on the political spectrum, at least in the legislature there, where we really have a province-building strategy mm-hmm. in terms of what to do with our resources to develop manufacturing or whatever. What I do see is, is giveaways to mm-hmm. big multinational corporations mm-hmm. uh, by both the, the NDP, BC United, and uh, I presume the Conservatives. And... Uh, so I, you know, in some ways, I, in some ways, I sort of see them all together, right? You know, they they, they actually agree on that stuff there, but they're going to divide us on all kinds of other issues, uh, you know, to you know, sort of create a, a situation as if there is real choice. Nicole, looking into your crystal ball, is is looking ahead to next summer and next fall. We all know that the vast, the lower mainland decides. Yes. Yeah. Who who becomes a premier, premier, and who forms government in Victoria? Can John Rustad and John Rustad's message resonate there, or is that is that pretty much that John's just trying? John's just shooting for opposition. I think that's more of the case. I think it's shooting for opposition at this um, at this time. Uh, that being said, um, in politics, you just never know. Um, I look at uh, you know the elections in in the U.S. and the surprise. I think that um, you know many many people uh, had um, a couple times, and uh, it's 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 a little concerning to see you know what this might actually mean. Uh, again, like I don't see the. The, the actual polarization occurring when it comes to policies, um, you know, kind of following, you know, what Peter is saying. I think we're kind of getting lost in misinformation and these kind of wedge issues. Um, and it's distracting us from actually having a real conversation about the economy, about what matters, about how we are actually going to run government. What, that, what is the role that, of government? That's not how voters vote. <laughs> Well, I'd like to think that they can, um, and uh, and we can get back to that. And I think, I mean, it's been decades now of um, people just 
constantly, um, you know, wanting something different and then going back and forth. Well, you know, maybe we'll try the left. Maybe we'll swing to the right. And I think we're now getting to the point where we're, we're seeing that it, it's not working either way. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm hopeful uh, that, uh, you know, people will kind of see through that. And I think we need to have, um, because it's an emotional uh, response, I think the only the only solution is emotional. I think we need to open up dialogue and talk about what, you know, what are people afraid of? You know, what are some of the solutions, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, as, as a community uh, that we can that we can actually see moving forward for a future. Trudy, quick response before the break. One minute. A lot of people provincially go into the local ballot box, mm-hmm. not know, even knowing who their local MLA is. Mm-hmm. They're voting for premier in their minds. So at the end of the day, doesn't John Rustad only have to be a little bit better than Kevin Falcon? And David Eby, who are not as, I, I mean, Art, Art rightly pointed out, John Rustad might not win a charismatic contest, but he just has to be a little bit more charismatic than those two guys. That's very, very, very possible. And uh, I, I just want to riff a little bit off of what uh, Nicole was saying. I think the reason that you don't see province building platform developing is because that's a lot of work. We're gonna. That's a great way to. We'll uh, we'll leave our discussion of John Rastad, uh, but definitely in my mind, uh, someone both John Rastad and the BC Conservatives. I think we should all pay, pay close attention to uh, to how uh, how they do over the coming months. We're gonna take a short break. We'll be right back. There's a river of birds in my a series of news and current affairs programs by and about women around the world, produced and distributed by the Women's International News Gathering Service. Listen for Wings, the Women's International News Gathering Service, Wednesday nights at 9.30 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The holiday season is upon us, and it's a time for merriment and feasting. Don't be left out because you have dietary restrictions. Deb's Specialty Bakery and Cafe has fresh and delicious baked goods that are safe for diabetics, gluten-sensitive, and other dieters. Try our cakes, pies, cheesecakes, and other baked treats for your celebrations this season. May all your holiday festivities be safe, and may your taste buds be jolly. Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, next to Pharmasafe at 7 Quebec. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North, aged six months and older, to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy with fog patches and a 60% chance of flurries this morning, then clearing. A high of minus 4. Tonight, a few clouds. Increasing cloudiness overnight. Winter at 15K, a low of minus 9. On Saturday, cloudy. Snow and south winds 30 gusts into 50 beginning in the morning. A high of minus 3 with a morning wind chill to minus 16. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Neil Godbu from The Citizen, subbing this morning for Friday After 9, for subbing for Res. We've got the panel, great panel this morning. 
Trudy Clausen, Nicole Fraser, along with uh, our seasoned hands, as I introduced them earlier, Peter Ewart and Art Betke. Trudy, I want to start with you with our second segment. I want to talk about this proposed change to the code of conduct, which, from what I understand, is basically how city council communicates with city staff and communicates with each other and and that this document is supposed to be a way to resolve conflicts potentially do i have that correct or do you want to add a little more to that um first let me say that i am speaking on my own behalf and not on behalf of council because that's always very important. That's actually written in the Code of Conduct. And so the Code of Conduct is more about how we conduct ourselves. The staff is working on a council staff communications policy as well. Um, the, the Code of uh, Conduct, yeah, it's supposed to govern how we how we operate. Um, did you have another question, or can I just no, keep say going. what I want to say? I voted against it, as well, as it's written, and I feel a little bit ridiculous for not having noticed the major stumbling block that caused me to vote against it was like, wait a minute, we have our one employee who is the city manager uh, who will be accepting complaints and passing them along to a third-party investigator. It's like, well, wait a minute, that's all wrong, all completely wrong, because all our city manager... Like, we have one employee, and it's wrong for that person to to, to well, handle why is it wrong? That employee well, answers to you. Well, um, theoretically, he does. But but the problem is that the um, all the city manager has to do in order to keep their job is to keep council divided. And so sitting on top of the code of conduct and being sort of the arbiter of it... I see where you're going with this. Uh, it gives them a tremendous amount... Yeah, you can... Well, six. You have to have six votes. Oh, well, there we go. We count to six. That's right. Super majority. A super majority. So, yeah. And so it puts the city manager in a really bad position to re- to ask them to adjudicate the... I mean, because it is, essentially. Because when the if a complaint comes in and, and they pass it along, I mean, they sort of know what's going on and... and uh, I mean, you could you could argue that yes, they do, but you but it's more than that. It's it's too much, too much is being asked of the city manager, and how can they remain partial impartial when they see this stuff coming through? And in light of their own employment and and how they stay employed, I think it's it's a really really bad format. And I wish I'm very feel really bad that I didn't notice that first, and so that I could have done some more homework in advance. Nicole, you're a former City of Prince George employee in the planning department. You're now a graduate student studying political science. So you have an interesting, I would say, I'm sure, perspective on this. One of the things that was floated at Monday's council meeting, and this is where I think I think what I think Trudy would like to see, is an ethics commissioner. Not really something done much in BC. I think Vancouver has one, and, and North Vancouver has Surrey. Surrey has one. Okay, so there's three in the province. Kamloops used to have one, and then took it away. Would an ethics commissioner really make a difference? I think I think it certainly could uh, make a difference. I don't think it's the only option out there. Uh, I think that you know I've 
saw a number of comments uh, come up after the council meeting uh, regarding the expense of an ethics commissioner. Um, but I would challenge that and say, what is the expense of not having, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone looking at the accountability and the integrity of uh, operations, you know, within um, uh, the city of Prince George for council members and ensuring that, you know, decisions that are made are, in fact, you know, neutral, um, uh, unbiased, and that there isn't that division. I think it's that divisiveness that... Um, basically disallows our council to hold administration accountable uh, and vice versa. And so I think when we look at, you know, it just in terms of its expense, uh, yeah, I think that's that's absolutely not the right way to, to look at this. And, you know, having an ethics commissioner, I think it, um, or at least a, a neutral um, arbiter, I think would, would make a big, big difference here. Um, you know, kind of following up from what Trudy had said, I think it's very difficult, um, you know, in the... Um, in the code of conduct, it has the city solicitor determining uh, that the complaint requires a formal investigation. So, what does that determination look like? What criteria uh, are they, um, you know, employing to to make that determination? Um, and then, you know, following up from that. Um, it says if the informal resolution is um, is unsuccessful, that they will then refer the complaint to a neutral and independent third party investigator of their choosing. So again, um, you know, what does that look like? And it's taking, I think, a lot of that um, power away from council uh, to really kind of make some of those um, those decisions and, so, and ensure some of those checks and balances themselves. But but Peter Trudy brought up this this super majority. What, you know, six votes. Normally, of course, for for usual votes, you just need five. There's your majority, but in some cases, it's six. But is isn't this, frankly, the way city politics have have always been done? Is that it actually doesn't matter who the mayor is, as long as there's a group that works together. They they don't necessarily need everybody, but then they also excuse each other's indiscretions, if you will. Well, you know, that's why I would uh, t- tend to agree with uh, uh, Nicole and, uh, and Trudy on this whole issue, you know, that there's a bit of a problem here. And, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, where uh, code of conduct violations are taken to and so on. So w- w- what could be a solution to this? Well, w- w- one of the problems is is that if you have an independent ethics commissioner and all this, people will say, well, if that's all they're going to do, they're, they're going to be sitting in their office for a long period of time doing nothing, right, and getting a big, big salary. In my opinion, perhaps what could be considered is to actually expand the whole uh, concept of independent ethics commissioner to uh, an ombudsman or ombudswoman mm-hmm. kind of role where uh, Ooh, that's interesting where you have um, uh, hey wait that's kind of part of my job <laughs> <laughs> right if people don't get what they like they tend to run to the media yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah and uh, w- with a ombud person or something like that um, you know, would deal with code of conduct, ethical violations. Also, could be a whistleblower yes. source, and and thirdly, could also investigate citizens' complaints. Yes, you know, so th- there'd be plenty on their plate to to actually do that, and would create a situation where people feel that there's some place to go that they don't think is compromised in some sort of way. I want to ask Art about. Peter brings up a really interesting idea, and I want to ask Art after the break, but I'm going to cue you up now to think about it over the break, is that that person is, at the end of the day, still a political appointee, and I would say that position would need some, some teeth, but we'll talk about that after the break. 
The regional district of Fraser Fort George has revamped their website. The new site is more modern, user-friendly, and accessible. You can now access information on regional district landfills and transfer stations, parks, board meetings, and more through their new website, rdffg.ca. While there, subscribe to get their news and notices automatically emailed direct to your inbox. The regional district of Fort George, new website, now available at rdffg.ca. It's not too late to get your vehicle winterized. To get it done right, visit Auto Magic on 15th. Tires, coolant, general service, brakes, imported or domestic parts, wheels, shocks, and so much more, Auto Magic is the place to go to keep your vehicle in tip-top shape for the long winter months. Book your appointment with Auto Magic today and get the job done right. Call 250-564-3224. Open Monday through Saturday from 8 to 5, Auto Magic on 15th. Your vehicle will thank you. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Alban Classical presents a Christmas comfort concert Saturday, December 23rd at 2.30 in St. Giles Church and 7.30 in Grace Anglican Church. Oboist Erica Scowron, clarinetist Simon Cole, and pianist Hannah Kang will perform seasonal favorites. Admission is free thanks to support by a grant from the City of Prince George. A Christmas comfort concert, 2.30 at St. Giles, the corner of 15th and Edmonton, and 7.30 at Grace Anglican on Goheen, Saturday, December 23rd. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Neil Godbu back with the panel. We're talking about uh, proposed code of conduct at the city of Prince George. Art, I asked you before the break. Okay, great. Uh, whether we call it an ethics commissioner, an ombudsperson, that person's still in a, a, a political point to you. How, how's this supposed to work? I have no idea. Whoever it is uh, cannot be part of the problem. Um, it can't be part of the the. the uh, well, what would you call it? The city and either council or employee uh, has to be independent. That's why I agree with Trudy. The city manager is not the person for this. Um, uh, I, how often do these conflicts arise? I mean, I, I would think that most of the time people can work out uh, whatever they're trying to do. And uh, I, 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 I can answer your question, Art. Okay, slightly. In terms of major public ones, these things tend to come up about once or twice a term in terms of serious financial ones. And I'm thinking of the Parkade, and I'm also thinking of the Best Damn Country Music Festival. Uh, I'm, I'm not... That's Kyle Sampson, who's still back on council. Of course, the Parkade, I would argue that was... Lynn Hall and the rest of council, mm-hmm. um, and 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 so those are the ones we know about. So so I I I I, I would maybe suggest that the, that person would be quite busy. Nicole, would that person be busy? I I I feel like I don't want to pick on Prince George necessarily, but I do think that. Um, 
That they would be busy in terms of, again, it comes down to a lot of interpretation. And right now, uh, you know, judicial... The public good. The, the public good is, is really, I think, where it, what it comes down to is being the key um, challenge, I think, uh, in terms of what is right or wrong. There's um, judicial deference given to local governments to make that determination. What is the public good? You know, the, the parkade and the, and the condos, I mean, one could certainly argue that that was for the public good. But, but isn't that democracy to give deference to our elected officials to decide what is the public good? I would say if the elected officials have the power, yes. But is it, in fact, the elected officials that have um, the power and are making a lot of those decisions? Um, you know, I would challenge the idea that often um, that's not the case, particularly when you have to have the majority of council on side in order to, um, you know, ensure that their policies and bylaws are being followed. Um, you know, essentially local government, the way that it should operate is that council creates their policymakers. They create policies and those policies then uh, should align with the administrative procedures at City Hall. So city manager then, you know, takes those council policies and aligns the administrative procedures. However, uh, you have to have, you know, six council members willing to hold uh, the city manager to task. And if that doesn't happen as the only employee of the city of Prince George, well, then you run into some major issues here. Uh, you know, and, and again, because voters tend to be uh, very emotional, uh, you know, tend to be very connected, you know, within communities, I think, again, we're not looking at the actual policy decisions. We're often, you know, making decisions with our, our um, emotions and uh, we run into some real, real issues. And, and like I was saying the, earlier, there's no accountability framework, uh, virtually none, in BC. Uh, the ombudsperson, uh, they're only looking at whether the process was followed, uh, not the outcome. So there, there is no need to justify decisions. There's no, uh, you know, justification in terms of whether it was legal or not. Um, and then when it does go to a uh, lawyer to investigate, well, who then drafts the terms of reference? Um, you know, I think these are questions that we need to be asking, you know, and paying attention to as as the public. Peter, Nicole brings up great points. This is meat and potato stuff for me as a local journalist. This is meat and potato stuff for people who follow local politics, except that three quarters of Prince George residents don't vote in municipal elections. So is, is, is this a tempest in a teapot? Do all people really care about from their local politicians is that the garbage is picked up on time? We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, that, that the water flows and that their, their roads are plowed and repaired regularly. I think there's a fundamental problem with the representational system in the sense that it excludes, it, it, it leaves the people out in the cold. And I, and I, I'm very much interested in looking at new ways of making it so that there's citizen empowerment and citizens are more involved in the actual decision making. Because I, one of the reasons why a lot of people don't vote at the municipal level and, and other levels for that matter is that they feel it doesn't matter what they exactly. vote for. Uh, they, they uh, once the vote is, takes place or the person is elected, then they're, they're, they're left out in the cold. So For four years. Yeah, for four years, right? You know, so, you know, one year of democracy, four years of dictatorship, right? <laughs> you know, so I think if, if we want to have more people involved, we have to give people more power because when people are empowered, they're more likely to say, well, yeah, I should get down to this meeting and I should do the, do this vote here and so, and so on because it will make a difference. But uh, as it stands right now, 
we don't have those empowerment mechanisms. We have, like, for example, the alternative approval process, which uh, if anyone has, has ever tried to do that, it's very cumbersome, very hard to uh, bring about, puts way, way too much emphasis on uh, volunteers and, and, and so on, right? You know, so we need, we need to change mechanisms to give people more power, and then we'll get more involvement, I think. Speaking of more power, I, I, I want to ask you this, Trudy. Just even floating the idea of an ethics commissioner, isn't this in a way uh, for mayor and council to kind of, frankly, pass the buck a little bit? Is that rather than police themselves mm-hmm. and 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 police themselves, is that... Re- I, I, rather than write that my counselor, the friend, the mayor, my friend, and I'm referring to one counselor in particular who uses that kind of language, um, is that we're colleagues here. We're here to help each other not avoid things like conflict of interest. And now does, does an ethics commissioner basically say, well, no, I don't have to worry about that. Well, and that's certainly a valid point. And maybe we should completely, I mean, I was sort of looking at the uh, the code of conduct that we have, and I thought, okay, like that's sort of a, a decent document. It's readable. It's not written in legalese like the one that we have proposed. So there the, is the, now the current code of conduct that dates back to 2013. I've written about that. That is frankly not worth the, okay. the paper it's printed on. <laughs> so then, so then, if if you want process and procedures, well, that's what the new that's what uh, was brought forward. So. I, I think ideally you would want counsel just to keep it, uh, each other accountable. Um, but the request is for us to have a proper procedure when it doesn't work. And so that's what you have here. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to do that after a short break. Your Prince George Council of Seniors has their annual Christmas hamper campaign underway. Donations of money or gift cards can be dropped off at 1335th Avenue before 3 today or e-transfer funds to ed at pgcos.ca. Today is the final day to have your donation in as this will determine how many hampers can be provided. For more information, contact Lindsay by emailing info at pgcos.ca or call the Prince George Council of Seniors office at 25 25- The College of New Caledonia has ongoing professional development courses for you to improve your workflow, learn new skills, or refresh existing ones. Many of their fall options are eligible for the Future Skills Grant, including Microsoft Excel Essentials for the Workplace and the ABCs of Digital Marketing Module 3, Application of AI, and Advanced Digital Marketing Strategies. Your learning adventure awaits at CNC. Scheduling and full details are available through the Continuing Education Department at the College of New Caledonia. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North, aged six months and older, to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. 
Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy, clearing this afternoon, a high of minus 4. Tonight, a few clouds, increasing cloudiness overnight, wind up to 15K, a low of minus 9 with the wind chill to minus 12. On Saturday, cloudy, snow and wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50 beginning in the morning, a high of minus 3, a morning wind chill to minus 16. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Neil Gagu from The Citizen, back with you and back with the panel after After 9. Nicole, I've been wanting to ask you this because, I mean, part of the... I, I see the code of conduct is staff and administration. This is a huge issue, and this has frankly been a huge issue across governments but particularly at the local government level is is communications between the elected officials mayor city councilors and staff is fraught there's only one employee the city manager but that that tension is built in there that for the mayor to walk into the director of planning's office and bark some orders for a city councilor to go into another director's office, say HR, to get intel on the hiring of some individual that they may or may not know, and hey, it's a just a conversation between us. The, the whole thing to me seems just fraught with ethical challenges. Yes. Uh, long term of that is yes. I, I think you are absolutely right. I think this code of conduct, or any code of conduct, um, you know, in fact, I think should have built into it, um, you know, some direction in terms of what the interactions between council and staff should look like. I mean, there should be a divide, you know, that kind of traditional administrative um, political divide. However, um, I think that there needs to be a distinction between, you know, when it is appropriate and when it is not appropriate. So during working hours, um, city staff are working for the public. Uh, so I think, you know, if a city, if a city councillor makes an appointment to speak to anyone within um, the city, just like anyone else um, would. Sends an email asking for a letter of support for bidding for a provincial grant. So that... Uh, <laughs> Putting you on the spot here, it, Nicole. It is. I, I mean, we, it, you start to walk a very fine uh, line there, I think, is is the challenge. I think that is, again, why when we look at drafting um, policy, the, the, the words that we put in it matter. Um, you know, if it if a city council member is contacting a manager of a department when, you know, traditionally you'd be going to the front counter, you'd be perhaps speaking to someone else in that in that department or just a general inquiry, what does the process look like if I would like to get a letter, um, you know, written for me for this grant? And then you're, you're channeled to appropriate personnel, I think that's one thing, uh, you know, but I think there needs to be that distinction between, you know, when is council uh, contacting staff uh, for personal or private matters? When When is that happening? Is it between, if it's between 8.30 and 5, then that should be, you know, they should be using the same channels that any other person in the public should should be, be using. However, and, you know, some of the, the challenges with, with I think, the, the Code of Conduct as it's written is that it starts to talk about um, the interactions between staff and council um, when they're undertaking personal or private uh, work, which I think can, can create some some real challenges for staff. I mean, it's my I believe that after you know five o'clock, 
you are a resident of the city of Prince George, and you certainly have to be mindful of the fact that you are a city of Prince George employee. However, you know, if you want to uh, pursue political activities or personal or private endeavors, you want to contact city council regarding, you know, issues that you have, you should be very free to do that without any punitive measures. Art, would you, would you be open to the idea of city staff, city employees up to and potentially including the city manager being able to campaign on behalf of candidates running for council? Ooh. Because, because I, I mean, to make this distinction between public time and private time, are city employees in their private time, sh- should they be given carte blanche? Hey, it's my own time. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fair, but still, there, there could be a conflict of interest here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that huge cloud that we're looking at, uh-huh. that's conflict of, the conflict of interest yeah, there. Yeah. But, but, but don't provincial government employees through their unions and privately do so, so do federal yeah, government employees. Yeah. What's the problem with locally? I, I, I see the problem. Yeah, it, it, it's a conundrum. Uh, I, I, I would really have to think about this. I, I, I tend to think that they should be free to do what they want on their own time. Mm-hmm. But I think they also should make sure that they identify themselves as a city employee when they are doing that. Uh, because uh, of the potential of a conflict of interest that the people should be aware of that, that they're campaigning with. But as you know, I gotta say, when it comes to the public themselves, uh, you start talking about all this kind of stuff, their eyes are going to glaze over. <laughs> they're going to lose, uh, uh, they're going to stop paying Re- attention. Reg is mad. Half the listeners yeah, of the show, and, show have already dropped when, out. When, when it comes time to pay their taxes, oh, they care then. But not enough to vote. So, so P- Peter, uh, and Art is alluding to this, this whole thing about a code of conduct and maybe an ethics commissioner, you raise the idea of an ombudsperson. This sounds like a lot of navel-gazing. This sounds like a lot of, okay, let's make sure we police ourselves instead of, like, you know, actually doing our jobs, working for the public. Like Art says, we pay our taxes. We want things Good. to come from those tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, part of the issue here is uh, Nicole brought up accountability, and uh, I think that's very important. And the other part of it is transparency. You know, the, the fact that uh, the, the citizens of the city should have as much knowledge as possible about what is taking place. And there must be, me- there must be processes and, and, and methodology and all that to make sure that that takes place. Otherwise, it becomes, uh, it, it gets to be a mystery, right? And then you, you have all kinds of discontent uh, arising out of that, right? You know, that stuff is going on that the citizens aren't aware of, or even sometimes some members of council. So uh, the transparency part, I think, is very important. And uh, t- talking about what kind of transparent mechanisms are necessary, right, uh, w- which will... Uh, anyway, improve the citizen participation in municipal politics. I'm not done talking about this. We have to take a break, our last break, and then we have 10 minutes le- left. And Art, I know it's it's a bit of a boring subject maybe, but I love it. Okay. And so I want to talk about it a little bit uh, to the end of the show. And we'll do that right after this break. This year's annual ECRA Christmas dinners are set for this Saturday and Sunday at the Elder Citizens Recreation Center. The cost is just $25 per person with tickets available at ECRA. The evening will also include a 50-50 draw. 
The dinners always sell out early, so don't delay. The annual Elder Citizens Recreation Association's Christmas dinners Saturday and Sunday at the ECRA on 10th Avenue between Vancouver and Winnipeg streets. Northern Health is taking actions to continue protecting people, communities, and the health care system this respiratory season by encouraging people in the North aged six months and older to get their COVID-19 and influenza vaccines. Visit getvaccinated.gov.bc.ca to get registered. Invitations will then be sent by email and text message with an invitation link to book your vaccine appointment. If you need help scheduling your vaccines, call 1-833-838-2323. Visit northernhealth.ca for clinic information in your community. The Prince George Public Library is once again offering its homework help tutoring program. Tutors work with small groups of students from grades 3 to 12 in English, math, and sciences. Tutoring sessions are held weekly on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays and are booked on a first-come, first-served basis. To apply for the homework help program, submit a registration form online at pgpl.ca or call 250-563-9251, extension 100. Two Rivers Gallery has registration available for their winter programs. Favorites are back, like Beads and Bannock and Saturday Morning Art. Plus, there's a brand new program, Chainmail 101. There are many more exciting programs to keep you busy during our colder months. Find the full list of classes and programs for children, families, youth, and adults under Learn and Engage at tworiversgallery.ca. Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Neil Godbue back for the final segment with the panel. Art Betke, Peter Ewart, Nicole Fraser, and Councillor, City Councillor Judy Clausen. <laughs> You're getting who, me in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to get you into trouble. <clears throat> I, I, I want to touch on something that Art, that Art said. Th- this is really important, but is it... Is it is it important enough that, and I mean, clearly five of us here talking about it today have been to varying degrees quite interested in this, but is it, is, is, is it something to go to war over? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, is it something to potentially divide council over? Well, I think it's pretty important. Because I'm not feeling, certainly from Monday's discussion, that council is, that mayor and council are on the same page on this topic. Um, yeah, and this is where, I mean, democracy, it's, it's a vote on council. Uh, and if we end up with a, with a, with a code of conduct that, you know, a few of us cannot support, we're still bound by it, right? And, but I, but I, what I was thinking earlier when uh, I'm not sure who was saying something, but I thought about the problem with any code of conduct, with having an ethics commissioner, having having an even an independent uh, whistleblower, uh, ombudsman type person. Um, you can have a perfect system, but you cannot make people be moral. And when when that is the challenge, when like so, no matter what we do, there are always going to be those who take advantage of the loopholes, or uh, manage to avoid accountability for their actions by whatever. And so that is something that you always have to keep in mind that law, it's by itself, 
cannot, it can inform, but it cannot completely solve the problem. You, you and I, and I've actually had this discussion with several politicians in my career, I've had this discussion before, because I hate that phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely, because I think it's completely incorrect. Power doesn't corrupt you. Power reveals who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like a mom with her baby. That's right. Is is you're, You are given this great responsibility and either you step up or you crumble under the pressure of that responsibility. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always hated that phrase. And so I, I, I agree with you that I think really this is... The, something like this is, is just putting more guardrails. Mm-hmm. And 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 there's a re, there's a place for that, right? Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's not it's not completely sufficient. I mean, we're celebrate we're we're entering the Christmas season. We're celebrating. Yeah. Well, and 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 you know, Art and Art <laughs> and Peter, uh, I'll throw you into the conversation. We've all been around long enough to see that that. On the one hand, we like to elect political leaders that are a reflection of our best selves, except that that's simply not reality, is that sometimes we we need guardrails in place because the people we elect are either not very good people to begin with, or they are people who, as I alluded to, just maybe good people making bad decisions and so so do we need more do we need more of these guardrails at the local political level art or is this really i think you can go overboard and uh, constrict what uh, people are able to do and uh, make them afraid to do anything mm-hmm. uh, there has to be lots of leeway for uh, discussion and disagreement and uh you know, making mistakes. But uh, if you try to regulate everything uh, to be 100% perfect, you are going to fail. It'll be a schmozzle. And and, and that art's getting to a point that I'd like to raise, Peter, and, and like you to address, is that in, in some ways is, is this the current council with creating something like this, and particularly if they gave it teeth and, I mean, let's say they went all the way and embraced your idea of an ombudsperson slash ethics commissioner and fully funded and, and with lots of teeth and lots of authority, aren't they actually tying the hands of a future mayor and council? Uh, yeah, to, to some extent. I think, for me, part of it is overall as well. Like, you know, under the BNA Act, uh, when it was put in place, uh, you know, the municipalities were at the very bottom in terms of power. They and, still are. And they still are. And that's, and that's a, that's a problem, right? Because I think what, what we need to look at is the reality of today. Like when, when the, um, uh, BNA Act and all that came in and all this. So that was a time when you needed very strong federal and provincial overreach, right, to establish municipalities and mm-hmm. so on. But now we're in a situation where municipalities, uh, which are very close to the voter in, in many ways and all this, uh, that there's, there, there's serious problems, right, in terms of the, uh, of the power that municipal level has. And we, we, what we need to do is have a discussion about, uh, what kind of power should the municipalities have right? Why be on a stepchild of the uh, uh, of the provincial government? Right, uh, you know, a, a, an old way of doing things. Right, we need to look at new ways of doing things. So I see this within the context of that. The whole question of democratic process. Mm-hmm. We have to look at democratic process and whether or not it's up to date, and whether or not we need to uh, develop it further. 
We're running out of time because I would love to ask you, because to me, you just opened the door to yeah. then do we need municipal governments at all? Mm-hmm. But that's that, that's for another show. I, I do want to end the show. I want to give Nicole the last word because I, I feel Nicole really has a unique perspective on this as someone who's currently studying political science, but is a former city employee, a municipal employee. So let's broaden this behind, beyond the city of Prince George to BC municipalities. What's the what? What would you like to see from your experience? What's the best outcome here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think overall, do we need uh, municipal governments? Yes, I think um, you know the circumstances from one municipality to the next are certainly uh, very, very different. Um, but I do think we need to be more cooperative uh, instead of you know always seeing competition as the only way. I think we need to band together. Um, but I do think that there is a difference, kind of building off what, what Art had said, I think there's a difference between regulation and accountability frameworks. I think that, you know, you can allow, um, you know, a council to make decisions um, and you can, you know, free freely make decisions, but I think there needs to be a robust accountability framework. And right now in BC, local governments have broad discretionary power, uh, but there's virtually no accountability framework. So I think they should have the power to make local decisions that affect, you know, communities um, and at a community level. However, with that power, it cannot be unchecked. And I think there needs to be some, um, you know, again, what building what Peter said, I think that we really need to look at the democratic process at local governments and we need to bring the public into the fold. Um, you know, some people think it's, it's a boring topic, but at the end of the day, the cumulative decisions that are made at local government level are more important than any other level of government. Whether I just wish that was reflected in the voter turnout. I think it can be. I think, but it starts here. I think it starts with the, the dialogue. I think it starts at, at in your household, in your neighborhood, at a community level, talking about the importance of this because it actually does then build momentum at the provincial uh, and federal level. I think we need to build, you know, civically engaged citizens. You know, we need to discuss why it matters, and I think the best way to do that is actually at a local level where you can see those changes happening in real time. And I think from that, that's when you get people, you know, thinking about okay. You know, what are the implications then at a provincial and a federal level? But I think, again, um, that's why my passion, uh, I'm sure to the uh, chagrin of my, my family and friends, is local government. Because uh, I think that's where it really, really begins. I think that's where the discussion has to start. Let's end it there. That's perfect. Thank you. Nicole Fraser, Art Betke. Peter, you are at Trudy Clausen. Thanks for joining me. It's been Neil Godbu. It's uh, from The Citizen. Pleasure to host today. Uh, whether you believe in one God, many or none at all, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, Rez will be back next Friday. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society.